And now we come to the F minor sonata, one of the great, great monuments of Western music, not just of Beethoven. And of course, it's very well known, but every time I hear it and I, I play it, I'm, I'm deeply moved by it, and you cannot stop being amazed and, uh, by, the, by the greatness of it. It is not called Appassionata by the composer. This, this came from the publisher. However, Beethoven was not against it, this name. It, sh it should be rather called, I feel, the, the tragic sonata, la sonata tragica, because it, it is like a Greek tragedy. It ends in a catastrophe. There is no catharsis. No, the sun doesn't come out at the end. It does come out briefly in the middle movement, a set of variations in, in D-flat major. Again, the concept is, is magnificent, two gigantic movements in F minor and, and in the middle, this D-flat major theme and variations, and it's composed through. Um, there is no break between the second and the third movement. This is also something that Beethoven had already used in the Waldstein Sonata, where the finale emerges out of the middle movement. The tonality of F minor is already known to Beethoven because the very first sonata Opus 2, number 1 from the year of 1794-95. We talked about this very often because it's this first sonata and it starts with this Mannheimer rocket motif. This is this device that was invented by the composers of the Mannheim school, people like Stamitz and Dittersdorf, etc. This sonata that we are now talking about starts very differently. It's one of the most brilliant and imposing piano sonatas of Beethoven, and yet it starts pianissimo. Isn't it curious how many of Beethoven's piano sonatas start pianissimo? Uh, actually, there is only one sonata that starts fortissimo, the Hammerklavier. <laughs> That's the only one. And then there are many that starts forte, but the majority of them starts pianissimo and misterioso.
Yes, this was the exposition. I didn't want to stop because it's, it's a pity to interrupt it. Let's examine a few of the details of this exposition. Very important is this, this unison beginning. However, the two voices are, have a distance of two octaves between them. So, that way they sound even more dangerous. There's, there's an extreme feeling of, of danger, of something terrible about to happen. Even this trill is like, like dry leaves being blown by the wind. But, uh, and everything is, is open. It en ends with a question mark. Um, now Beethoven writes here Allegro assai, quite lively, but the meter is 12.8. So it's a this is very important. Every time when I play this sonata, then already an hour before, in the back, my, my heart is beating. This Now, most of you know this piece very well, and yet, I don't want to make an examination <laughs> here, but if I ask people to sing the beginning of, of this sonata, then people sing ta 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 Most people don't know what, what the rhythm is, because it's a sharp rhythm. So, the beginning of this piece is not, not like an introduction and the piece will start here. That is already a continuation, but the piece starts with the very first note. It sounds like something very obvious, but you don't hear it that way very often. Because the interpretation of this movement is one of the hardest things in, in piano music, to hold it together, to hold the different elements together. So, that is the rhythm of 12-8. And in bar 14, something happens. Uh, this motif this fate motif. But this is not a, a declaration of fate, but it is it's coming from a distance, from far away. So, still in the beginning, I should mention the, the Napolitan harmony. That is... And a semitone up. That's what's called... Uh, this is the Napolitan sixth chord. And this is very, very characteristic in the whole sonata. 
of semitone up. He reverses his idea in, in the Waldstein we had here. And the whole tone down. So and here it's the other way around. Yes. So and then Ritardando, and comes this first volcanic eruption. <laughs> and then comes the real eruption in a full orchestra. <laughs> Here, this is not something beyond control, but it is it is a syncopated way of, of writing 12-8. Here, the bass moves just a semitone down and we are in a completely different countryside. You hear this knocking rhythm of the repeated quavers. This is a music of, of the greatest agitation. And uh, storm gets a little calmer but you still have the, the beat of the 12-8 and this second subject sounds like a new theme but it's very closely related to our main themes it's almost like an inversion in the major parallel major and just when when we would get into tranquility, he interrupts the flow 
and another exclamation and then again in A flat this is a Napolitan six and then This is why it's so difficult to play this movement because there are these moments when time stands still and yet it's not not a free cadenza you must always feel the pulse yeah. This passage is my goose pimple passage. So, so you must feel this incredible, but you feel when a yup. Now it's molto legato. No crescendo, nothing. comes the storm. So <laughs> with Blitz und Donner. And um, uh, mm, I think this, this sonata has at least as much to do with Shakespeare's Tempest as the D minor. So this is the end of the exposition. Now starts the development. So it's an enharmonic modulation. The A flat becomes G sharp on the piano. We pianists, we always play out of tune, because we can't help it. Uh, it's distempered, but uh, now it's a... But in, in the back of your mind, you, you have to feel this wonderful transformation.
Yes. This is constantly modulating. This, this place where I just stopped is very important because it's a new theme and it's, I, I find these moments in Beethoven so touching because he, he yields. He, he shows such a, such a human side of him. We are in this important key of D flat. Uh, this is F minor, and uh, it's related by the third. But or we already said the D flat is an important tone in this sonata because of the and uh, so now from D flat major we start to climb. But it's very important that you follow the bass line here. Don't just listen to the top of the structure. The, the foundation is important. this wonderful second subject but the bass climbs two whole octaves you hear this Still climbs until so we came from here to here. It's two full octaves. It's an enormous mountain climbing, and then he stops on this diminished seventh chord. He uses deliberately the pedal here. There he is the first great composer who writes for the pedal. And he puts this in his score, and it should really not be changed. There should be a, an enormous sonority here. You hear? And then this fate motive that in the beginning we heard it pianissimo. But here it is really like an apocalypse.
is the exact point of the recapitulation. And when I said in the beginning that you must feel the pulse of the twelve, here Beethoven shows what he means, that in pianissimo, ostinato, the bass is repeating this. Then it moves up at semitone. it's in the major. Um, the recapitulation, I don't want to go through every detail of it, but you feel the, the unbelievable energy and the, the agony of this music. I always feel on the ver being on the verge of a heart attack here. And if it happens in a concert, that would be a nice way to <laughs> finish. I'm not pushing it by any means, but... but it's much nicer than being in hospital. <laughs> so, just the, again, we have a fantastic coda. get away from this D-flat major, he loves it. a deconstruction of down to the again to this fate motif and the last eruption
you still have the the, the twelve eight beat, and it is like a, like the last judgment, really. You know? is an apocalyptic scene it's really like dies ire and uh, he he plays all the notes f that were at his disposal on his keyboard let's not forget that in beethoven's time the keyboard was about this long and now we have a lot more but the music has not become better <laughs> now after after this storm we have to have some tranquility and he gives us this wonderful serenity in this D flat solemn theme Andante con moto, so in a walking space, not too slow. And it's in D flat major. It's a very simple theme. Uh, in these first eight bars in the melody, he only uses two notes. So, but again, we should follow the bass. And with these dotted rhythms, there is something march-like in this. It's a very solemn procession. Um, the first eight bars are being repeated, and now I play the second eight bars. here the the dark sonority he's using the bottom of the keyboard so we hear like deep strings celli and double basses or in my imagination I hear trombones like a very festive, very solemn. Um, we have a theme and three variations plus a coda and there are two tendencies that we should observe here. One is the tendency from going from darkness into light. 
it's getting lighter and lighter until in the last variation it seems like the sun has come out. The other tendency is that he starts in larger note values and the note values are getting smaller and smaller by each variation. Here we have crotchets or quarter notes. One, two, one, two. The first variation is in quavers or in eighth notes, whereby the left hand plays staccato and the left the, the right hand plays staccato and the left hand plays legato. One, two. We are still in the dark and the Second variation comes a little bit nearer to the light. Now we are in semi-quaver motion or in 16th notes and molto legato. Final variations. Now we are out in the light, and it's in in hemi demi semi quavers. So in in 32 notes. Uh. After the apotheosis of this, comes an epilogue where he is just using fragments of the theme, putting them in different registers. It's always wonderful with Beethoven that the, the piano almost never sounds like a piano. I mean, I hope it doesn't. Uh, we, we must always imagine other sonorities of, of strings, winds, brass instruments. On the other hand, God forbid that somebody should orchestrate these sonatas. <laughs> they are good for the piano, and the piano should, should express millions of colors, but it should not be played by a hundred people who don't rehearse enough. <laughs> So let's play now the end of this movement. Again the brass, now the woodwind play. With the celli. 
again the woodwind. What, this is what we expect, but this is not what comes. Uh, the last note. It's just an arpeggio and with a fermata. So again we are back to, to the danger. And he repeats this chord um, the left hand arpeggio and the right hand as a chord. He puts the word secco, dry. So before we had... Again, like the, the trumpets of, of the last judgment. And uh, now... The last movement is given by Beethoven, Allegro ma non troppo. Again, don't play it too fast. It's not, not a Czerny etude. It is a, it's as a great piece of music, <laughs> one of the greatest. And, and if one doesn't play it too fast, only at the very end when it's presto and when, when the whole world breaks together, then I think it one creates an almost unbearable tension.
not faster. And the genius of Beethoven is that everything connects to everything else. So when we remember in the first movement the Napolitan transposition here. So again here. Again he uses the same same connection. Again we have we have a seemingly perpetuum mobile continuous semiquaver motion, but uh, under that we have this sighing, sospirando. So one has to find the, the main motives often behind the small notes. Um, as in the first movement also, it's important in this sonata the lack of repeats. The exposition is not repeated. This is almost unheard of before because in, in usually in, in a classical sonata the exposition is being repeated. And Beethoven breaks with that tradition. It's, it's also, it shows how how much he is trying to go into new uh, directions. In, in the first movement there was absolutely no repeat and in this last movement the exposition is not repeated. On the other hand, the following section, the development and the recapitulation is being repeated. And again this creates, like in the Opus 54 sonata, on in this movement Again, we have very interesting proportions. Rather short first half and the gigantic second half plus the coda. Um, let me play a little more of the development. a new motive at, at, at this exactly the same part as in the first movement there he introduces a new theme um, part invention of Bach imitating and then he has enough of this imitation and he breaks out in a unison.
is the recapitulation. You remember this goose pimple passage here? Uh, so again, this, this mirrors that passage in the first movement. Again, pianissimo and no crescendo on the horizon, and again, very exact instructions of where to hold the pedal down and where to release it. So all in one pedal. Now he will release it on the G. And again, the dominant is on the pedal. Here, where he writes Rinz for Zando again. Mm. On the Napolitan. Then he repeats this huge section of development and recapitulation, and he, the end is, is really terrifying because it, he writes a huge accelerando, it's getting faster and faster and faster, and he goes into a presto section, which is a new theme, which is like, like a Hungarian chardash. But it's like a Chardash Macabre, like Liszt has a piece called Chardash Macabre. It's, it's, the, it's a dance of the death. And um, let's just play the end of the uh, recapitulation. This, this is an incredible piece that will always keep shocking us. <laughs>